Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, Houston, as they say, we have a problem. In the marketing profession specifically, the skills and capabilities in digital marketing, CX, data and analytics have flatlined in Australia over the past three years, despite so much talk about it being the future of everything. We apparently all are right across digital transformation, except that we're not. The second annual marketing state of play study of 200 plus marketers from Arctic Fox and Michael Page uh, is a wake up call really on the troubling skills gap in the Australian market. And it's only partly linked to the COVID induced talent crisis. If the marketing state of play study is right, we're a little delusional on the capabilities we think we have versus what we need to have. And in the fresh eyes of Sam McLeod, Cole's recently appointed General Manager of Brand, Digital and Design, who's returned from a long stint in the UK, Australia seems to be a little out of step with other markets. So what are the challenges and what are we to do? Joining Sam on the mics today Willem Paling, who's just left his gig at Woolies X and Cartology to join Luxury Escapes as Director of Product, Customer Experience and Personalization, and Teresa Spurdy, founder at Arctic Fox. So welcome to you all. I think, you know, I'm going to try and learn something here and keep up with you all because uh, I am not that data literate. Teresa, to you first, really, how about you set the scene for us, for us on the study? What are the key takeouts from the Marketing State of Play report? And I guess, have we flatlined? Uh, welcome, Teresa. Thanks, Paul, and great to be here to talk about the study and the issues that are facing our industry locally. So firstly, a little bit about the report. The Marketing State of Play study was conceived about two years ago after I founded Arctic Fox. And I have personally spent 20 years client side. And, and at the time, I was witnessing how the role of marketing was changing and needing to change in businesses around Australia. But what I found was that there was a very big gap between what the media was portraying, no offence. Bloody media and journos, I know, they're painful, aren't they? No offence. None taken. And what was actually happening in the industry um, and where it is that we are as an industry locally. So at the time, there was a number of global studies that were out in market, which were providing really in-depth insight as to what was occurring at a global level. But we knew we didn't, that that didn't reflect where the Australian market was at. And so we decided to embark on creating this study to really help create a conversation in the industry about where teams are at and how they can evolve to meet the demands of tomorrow. So that's really the background as to how we got here. Um, this is the second year we've done the study, which is great because we can now compare year on year data. Um, but let me just touch on some of the key findings from this year's report. Let me interrupt for a second, Teresa, in that the, the composition of the of the uh, respondents, SMEs and enterprise, right? So it's quite it's across the board. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the report has um, had received 220 responses from market marketing leaders from very small organisations right through to enterprise level organisations. And I think that's a really important point because what we wanted to do with the report is ensure that it captures 
a snapshot of the entire industry, not just what is happening within enterprise marketing teams. Got it. Great. So sorry, I interrupted. The findings, let's get there. Let's get to the findings. Okay. So the big finding from this year's study is that the skills and capability of teams is becoming increasingly problematic in enabling marketers to play a more influential and strategic role within organisations. As you touched on before, we're being challenged to drive digital transformation, lead out on customer experience, drive the growth agenda. These are key strategic initiatives. Uh, And what leaders are telling us is that the skills gap is really significantly hampering their progress and ability to influence that strategic agenda. And unfortunately, we haven't seen significant improvements year on year. So what are some of the key findings in detail from the report? So the first is that 66% of leaders cited that data literacy within their teams is not strong and data and analytics for the second year has topped the list as the number one skills gap facing marketing and digital teams. Four in 10 leaders also believed that digital literacy is not strong within their functions. And so you're probably sitting there thinking, Six in 10 do. That's the majority. That's pretty good. That's okay. Yeah, yeah, right. But I would argue that the digital age has been around for the best part of two decades and we've been around, you know, working on Mm. on building capability for the best part of two decades and we're probably not where we need to be. And then the final um, insight that I'll share is that less than one in two marketing teams lead the CX mandate today. And as the experience is the brand, you have to ask yourself why marketers are not being seen as the logical leaders of the CX agenda. And, and you know, all of those are, are really valid. So just um, we're going to come back to you um, and have a, a group conversation in a minute, Teresa. But can I ask, you know, on those top line findings and some of them, you know, I think even in the four and 10 you talked about, we could be, as I mentioned in the, in the setup, we could be a little bit delusional. It's, it's probably higher than that. We think we're rating ourselves a little bit higher than we probably are. Um, as well, Teresa. So there's that point of it. But but Willem, uh, Willem Palling, uh, what do you make of this? Does this all ring true for you? Um, what and why are we struggling with in digital capabilities and skills? And is this your experience, what you've seen in the market with our, our capabilities gap in around all those dimensions around digital and, and data and analytics? And welcome, Willem. Thanks, Paul. I think it is. It does ring true. And I think to deal with the problem, we need to be more specific. You know, we wouldn't just say we need someone to help us get better at ads. It's not not a good hiring brief. Yeah, yeah, fair point, yeah. We, we need more rigour and we need people doing it in some specific areas. So for me, as I'm getting older and crankier, I tend to blame society's ills on the rise of the internet and I think that's at the core of the story here. Yeah, let's go there, shall we? Today we get so much digital data from, from website visits, every ad impression and so on, and it's it's really hard to interpret. And it's really easy to get it wrong and just use it to confirm what you already think or to say you've done a good job. Um, marketers didn't get that much back from TV or outdoor, so it required more rigor of thought to understand what's working and what's a good idea. But so with the rise of digital, old school direct mail kind of science stopped being cool. Brand planning wasn't as important as building out ad tech for conversion optimized display. But the measurement of digital media has been far from scientific. It gives us numbers, but they tell us very little. I, I think it's been a massive diversion. And so if you look back to the period from like the 1960s to the 1990s, there were like two strong streams of data-driven marketing happening. Firstly, like strong planning, I think was much more prominent, drawing on a diverse range of data sources to understand the market, the population, where the brand fits, how people think and respond to ads. And this is hard work. It needs really smart people doing rigorous work. And And I think there continues to be a real big need for that. Secondly, there was 
excellent scientific testing happening in in direct mail in that field marketing was really at the forefront of applying science in business and now there's this kind of third stream that ties more into digital and cx which is enabling data powered martech and ad tech and so i think we need to understand data skills gaps and digital skills gaps in these more specific fields and and develop better hiring briefs and really you know build build the teams that are, that are much more specific do you think, Willem, though, well, to, to all of them, though, um, is, there, is there an understanding and an inclination or desire by the talent that's coming through, both leaders and emerging talent, um, to actually want to get into the data and the tech? It's not as sexy as what some of the stuff used to be. And there's a certain sort of maybe is there a certain personality um, that may be being diverted to other sectors and not into marketing and, uh, and CX and all those things to actually get the right talent. What, what is it about um, what, what people, what types of people do we need and what sort of uh, enthusiasm do, do they need to have? I think that's a really good point because I, I think a lot of people are drawn to creative fields because they're passionate about creative and, you know, marketing's kind of the creative field within business. You know, people become accountants because they're passionate about counting beans and and that's, you know, you're not really bringing in the the heavy data tech people um, when when the kind of core of what you're doing in marketing is, is making ads and so on. And I think, you know, to have the really good ones, you're competing with, you're competing with tech companies, you know, you're competing with people building really, really good products. With high margin that can pay plenty too, by the way, right? Ex- ex- exactly. Um, and, and that's always going to be that's always going to be really hard. So attracting people, I might just ask, I mean, Teresa, you know, just before we get to Sam, on, the, on, the, on, on attracting the sort of people or building interest and curiosity and desire amongst the current marketing teams to even want to be curious and interested in this, is it, is it possible or what, where's, the, where's, the, where's the gap for you on that? I actually think part of the gap starts at university, to be honest. I had a really interesting conversation with a university lecturer probably about 12 months ago that said to me that, and we were sharing some of the results from our first year study around the gaps in commercial acumen. And and he told me that universities don't teach subjects like, you know, financial measurement and monitoring in, in marketing degrees because people won't do the courses. Um, and, and that was frightening to me um, that, you know, we are obviously there is a cohort of people that are attracted to the industry for the creative side. But, you know, we've got to do a better job as an industry at showing the diversity of the industry and, and, and attracting a broad range of skills to the industry creative right through. Um, so I, I think that's part of the problem. I think one of the other problems is data and numbers don't come naturally to everyone. And so um, for some people, when it comes to data, um, it becomes quite confronting and they feel quite vulnerable and they naturally lean out rather than lean in because it's not a subject matter that they're naturally comfortable with. So I do feel you can build curiosity and interest, and, and but it takes time. It's not something you can just tell your team, we have to start using data and they'll innately know how to use it. You need to foster that culture of learning and interest and curiosity in the subject matter and connect um, the concepts with how it makes them to be better marketers. 
And Sam, welcome. You, you've been uh, abroad for um, a thousand years and you've come back. Uh, what do you make of what you're seeing coming back to Australia, just generally in the market versus what what you saw in the UK, uh, you know, broadly, but particularly around these, these, these digital skills and capability gaps that we're talking about? Um, what do you see? Yeah, I mean, thanks for having me. It's a really interesting conversation. I guess, yeah, that, that kind of, I mean, a luxurious position of being able to compare two different markets. So, you know, I think when I left Australia, I think we were really, I thought I had high hopes that we were kind of leading the digital way almost. But I think with the benefit of hindsight... How long ago was that, by the way? So it was 10 years. 10 years, okay. It really feels like, at the, at the time, it felt like we were really embracing it. But I guess with the benefit of hindsight, I think what we embraced was digital advertising rather than right. a digital experience. And I think coming on to some of the points that the guys have mentioned... You know, for me, coming back, it's really starkly different around the fact that digital and data is still very siloed in team setups here from certainly from talking to different people in the industry and reconnecting with everybody. It definitely still seems quite siloed, whereas I think in the UK, they might have been a little slower off the mark to kind of start to embrace the digital world. But when they did, I think they did it in full force. And I think they did that in kind of two different prongs. They sort of really forced themselves to bring digital into the core of their team makeups, both from a digital advertising perspective, but really the core difference that I see is coming back to this insight. So, um, you know, the fact that the UK really is the home of strategy and then they sort of lead the way in that, I think they really quickly understood that, you know, data is not necessarily just transactional information or profiles or records all of those things coming together, what it gives you is insight to be able to make better marketing decisions, to be able to service your customers better, to be able to deliver your brand experience. So they really understood, getting back to um, Willem's point earlier around, you know, that strategic thinking and rigour that people used to do when they had, you know, maybe less responsive channels. I think they understood that even though the world of digital could give you quick reads, it wasn't those quick reads that you wanted to go for. You wanted to still apply that same level of rigour and thinking to be able to get to those rich insights and be able to apply those. So I think they understood that a lot more and kind of I guess that's why they diversified their teams and skill sets to include people like data scientists, behavioural scientists, that kind of thing, where you were almost getting the, the, like, the logical, rational people who aren't scared by numbers, but you were getting those people working alongside people who understood that human curiosity and you know, all the good old fashioned reasons that I think a lot of us probably got into marketing. It's just the psychology of marketing that's really interesting. And this is just another way to be able to deliver into that, I think. So it's that humanizing the data. I think they're much further mm. ahead. Yeah. And perhaps my, my question there earlier was redundant when I said sort of, is this about personality and people types? Um, who wants to get into data? And people are, you're saying that in the UK, it was sort of it becomes almost a culture of what becomes the norm um, for all people to be able to get at least the the basics and fundamentals of what digital transformation, digital marketing, uh, CX, and data analytics. It's not actually about the person or the personality type. Uh, absolutely, I think that that is probably at the fore of the fact that it's um it's not going away, is it? It's only going to get more and more important. And if you want to be in marketing and you want to make great decisions and drive business growth. Yes, we do that through a creative form, but your creativity is better for having a better understanding of people and your customers. And one way to do that now is through data. And that's just a different mm. input that's kind of moved on with the world of digital. So I think they're much better at kind of cracking that from so far. I mean, haven't been back for very long, but I think that it seems like certainly from that report, it seems like this is a bit of a shared problem that we're all facing that I think we need to start to demystify data as being 
numbers and statistics and make sure that people see it for insight because that's what it ultimately gives us. Mm, and so not so scary. Um, Teresa, the point that Sam made about everyone sort of sharing the same load, this is the point in this market, right? It's it's like I think you you were talking earlier. I think you say a lot of people think that they're in a they're on an island and they're the only ones that are struggling with this. Where in fact everyone is, and so it's not necessarily someone's worse off or less advanced than the next. Everyone's in the same boat on this in this market. Mm. Look, I mean, in any market, there's going to be some some people that are really leading the way, and there are some great examples of brands doing some really great things across, um, you know, the data and digital space in Australia. But I think, you know, what I found through conversations pretty early on and conversations we have every day with with clients um, and, and leaders in the industry is that um, pe- behind closed doors, people feel vulnerable. They're not where they think they need to be. And they see what the media portrays and it feels like everyone else has got this all figured out and it's just us that don't. And this is why we created the for, the the report to begin with was because we wanted people to realize and understand there is a lot of you that are in the same boat and it's okay to be in this boat but we are not going to move ahead as an industry if we're not having real conversations about the challenges that we are having and starting to solve for some of the key skill gaps that we have in the industry because what happens today is everyone just poaches everyone's talent and we're good for a period of time in certain areas because we'll, we can poach some data people and poach some digital people. But like Sam said, it's not embed, embedded in the BAU of teams. It's it's kind of, it's still there are these segregated specialists that operate quite separately to other parts of the marketing function. And that doesn't build capability. Um, uh, and so I think as an industry We've got to have different conversations and work through some industry solutions to solve for this because we can't keep just pe- keep poaching each other's talent. Yeah, no, it's a good point. And look, you know, it may sound defensive and it probably is. To the defence of those bastard media uh, and journalists who report all this stuff, I will say in the main, and there are exceptions, but in the main, I find myself amplifying or reflecting what the market's talking about. So when I hear everyone talking about digital transformation and we're going to do this and you hear the consulting firms, the need for it and customer experience from the top and boards and so forth, you go, okay, this is where it's all going. Let's go here. But what we do do as a media um, as a media organ is, or as, as, a, as a sector in journalists and media is it certainly amplifies everything to where it looks like it may be this, the, the norm and it's in fact all we're doing is repeating what people are saying perhaps as intent or ambition, not whether they've got there. So um, I take your point on, on, on journalism media doing some average stuff, but sometimes we're reflecting what the market's talking about. Now, there's my little um, apology for my, my craft. Sorry about that. I had to get that in there. But Willem, can I ask you, um, you know, what, what both Sam and um, Teresa are talking about in terms of uh, people uh, either wanting to or feeling like you know, they've got the, the, curious or the curiosity or the interest to get into this, um, what do you make of that? That in terms of people types and, and, and sort of what's required uh, for your colleagues to show interest and, and get down in the, in, in the trenches on this? And what does good look like from the people that you, you've experienced that are doing it right? I think it's, yeah, I think it's hard, but getting, getting people who are doing it really well, they're, they're rare. So like, um, you know, I think back of, of people who've been, you know, amazing sort of crossover marketing data people or or you know have a strong understanding and a strong understanding strong understanding of marketing and a strong understanding of 
um, how to deliver digital and engineering and so on. Um, they're, they're really rare. So, you know, the fact that they're rare, it's really hard to hire for them and to create roles for them and, and so on. Um, I think, you know, it's, it's a kind of thing where, you know, if you want to attract those kinds of people, um, you know, it's hard to just put a, put a job ad, ad out there and expect to, expect to bring them in. You know, they're attracted to work with other really smart people. So it makes, I guess that makes it difficult to establish a, a function, um, you know, when you don't have someone to, to see that. Um, I mean, I think there is a degree though, and, and what Sam was talking to, talking about in the UK is, you know, really attest to that. Um, you know, there's, there's something in being able to find those people who are really good at it. Um, there's certainly an opportunity to, to, um, to raise the bar of, of everyone else and to, you know, to create the expectation that you actually report back on your work and to create a, a, a data-driven culture, for example. Like creating a data-driven culture is really hard because you have to be able to celebrate things that are bad as well as things that are good. And we're much better at, at you know, doing the post-campaign review and celebrating all the work and finding all the good things to talk about. And that's pretty hard to, hard to do the opposite. Sam, how did you think in, in the 10 years that you've been in the UK, how did the UK market start to instill a broader culture in and around this? What, what, what Was it from the top? Was it just from like people coming to, to, to Teresa's point, were people coming through university and up through the training? Well, there's probably no training anymore anywhere, but coming up through the through the ranks that just had a, an innate uh, leaning that way. What, how, did it, how did it evolve in the UK, do you think? It's a great question. I'm not really sure I could answer about the training bit. I don't know on that front, but I certainly think there was a very strong appetite from top down so I think that there was a real recognition, um, and of course it will differ from company to company and individuals, but I think there was a real recognition of this is new, this is different, it can be quite scary, it's quite overwhelming, but if I don't get on board the train and if my company doesn't start to embrace this and learn about it and I don't surround myself with the right people, we're going to get left behind. And I think maybe that's generated by the fact that it's such a competitive market. So the competition in most categories is far greater than it is here. So the, the threat of loss of market is much more prevalent. So I think it was probably born out of the fact of it was a, I have to. So not necessarily a, I want to, but it's coming, it's not going away. And if I don't get on board and I don't start to surround myself or invest in this, then we're going to get left behind and we're going to lose market. So I think that was really the driving force, if I'm honest. So um, good old-fashioned fear, I think. <laughs> yeah, yes, right. And to that fair point, though, I've heard this said quite a bit from, you know, Australia post-GFC was a little bit protected in a bubble. We didn't hit the, we didn't hit the wall like other markets. And what I hear about, you know, the UK particularly is that marketing and marketers had a lot of pressure on them from the GFC to really develop very different and broader skills and we were a little bit protected. I don't know if you buy that or not, Sam? Yeah, no, I think that, that definitely rings true, particularly I'd say there were certain certain categories that over-indexed in that, like so banking for sure, like the, the whole way banking um, came to market totally revolutionised post-GFC because they had to. Um, but I think it was, you know, it, it, I guess it's that thing of your, you know, your customer experience or your definition of customer experience isn't defined category by category. It's defined by your last best customer experience. So as banking was moving on and changing the game and talking to you differently or, you know, you had subscription services coming on board and changing the game of how that started to define how people expected all interactions with all brands to start to show up. 
So I think that really, again, they had the GFC, which demanded different skill sets, different levels of understanding. And then they had the rise of all of these different kinds of brands and kinds of interactions on a digital platform that were starting to surface that really they were starting to use, you know, predictive modelling and everything long before any marketeers were using that in, in a way of communications. Right. And I think that they right. became a customer expectation. You have to know me. And if you know me, you should be helpful. So I think they started to get there really quickly because of that influx of different brands and, and um, the demand. I'm going to ask all of you a question that you haven't had any notice on, and I'm going to start with Sam. How would you define your own capability in this area? So, for instance, in the UK, you've been exposed to that. So in Europe, you're a, you're a traditional, when I say traditional, you're a communications agency um, exec who's come into marketing, not necessarily come from the hardcore data and data and analytics area I'm assuming so where would you sit on the spectrum yourself where would you define yourself yeah so I mean back back in the day when I first started I actually was in direct marketing so I sort of liken it a little bit to the fact that yeah I I do definitely liken it a little bit to the fact that like I learned to drive on a manual car I learned to understand the premise Mm. of data quite early on Um, so Mm. I think I'm probably maybe less scared of it than other people because of my entry point into the industry but by, by no means am I a digital or data expert by any stretch of the imagination. I'm, I'm very much in a position where I could continue to learn and grow. I think what I probably am quite good at, which um, I think is probably how come I'm able to have these sorts of conversations, is I'm quite good at leaning on people who are the hardcore people within this skill set and translating what they need into what maybe a business needs to hear or an executive board needs to hear and actually how we translate that into actionable marketing insight. So I think that translation job, and that's probably a transferable skill set from coming working on creative agency side, to be honest, um, because you have to translate lots of different things. But um, certainly by no means do I ever claim to be an expert in this area, and there's tons I could still learn and grow with. Well, it's interesting you mentioned um, sort of analogue, if you like, direct marketing, where it was essentially direct marketing in an analogue context became what fueled the digital marketing of um, whole was the digital version of, of what we saw in direct marketing. So I take your point on that. Willem, um, I'm going to assume that you're a bloody geek. And so how, where would you um, sit on the spectrum um, of, you know, data analytics and digital literacy um, on, the, on, the, on the hardcore side of it versus what we might see as the broader marketing and communications uh, set and capabilities that are out there? Yeah, so, so, when I was young, my, my dad was a programmer, so I grew up writing code. Oh, you've got a natural advantage. That doesn't help, does it? All that stuff came pretty easily to me, but a bit of an ornery type. And um, so I deliberately went out and studied all the things that didn't come naturally. So I studied design and, and did a PhD in cultural research and um, generally um, avoided getting full-time work for a long time. <laughs> um, and so so I, I think that, that kind of, you know, all of that has been about, you know, being very interested in, in understanding people and how they interact with the world, how they make sense of their world and so on. And so that really for me is what you're doing in marketing. You know, you're trying to understand, you know, a population of people in the aggregate and what you can do to influence and change it. Um, and, you know, it brings together, you know, yeah, I mean, the, the data and the digital is um, really important in that. Um, but, you know, it's it's not that important without understanding people and 
um, you know, I think they're the things that, that need to come together. So I'm going to get to Teresa and ask her this question in a minute, but it does raise a really interesting one that I'd like to get all your views on, which is the sorts of people that you need to bring in to develop your data, uh, analytics, digital uh, skill sets, CX. They are often not necessarily people who are, who are in, in marketing, come from marketing or have a strategic bent um, as opposed to a tactical bent, which sometimes if you listen to Mark Ritson, it's like digital is not strategy, it's often tactics. So you've got to have a strategic sort of understanding of where things sit. So can uh, is there a risk here that when you start bringing in a lot of those um, into marketing, that is a lot of that, that those, those data and analytics type people that they get into the rabbit hole without understanding what what the whole picture is. Is there any danger there? Um, you know, Sam, maybe first. I don't think so. I think if you, I think if you're clear, I guess it's about you know understanding what you're signing up for, and if you understand that your role in, as a data analyst is sitting with inside a marketing department, like any skill set within that marketing department, everyone needs to know what the north star is and know. What, you know, what we're all working towards and have a shared vision. And I think if you have a shared vision with your team, regardless of your skill set, your role or level of seniority, it means that you all feel like a shared sense of responsibility. And I think they will have different personalities and different skill sets. But I think that diversity and that different cognitive thinking and, you know, way of approaching that people problem, as Willem said, I think, you know, just because you're in data analytics doesn't mean you're not interested in people. Just because you're highly creative doesn't mean you're more fluent in talking to people or communications than anyone else. So I think it's that shared vision and the understanding of how you're all coming together to collaborate around delivering that shared vision, I think for me, kind of overcomes that so that they don't get locked in different silos or go down rabbit holes. But it is it does have to come with some trust and respect that you know you might not necessarily all speak the same language but you have to speak you have to have a common ground which for me is the shared vision around what you're there to do right and that comes down to culture and leadership in terms of driving that too um, yeah I, I think definitely for me that comes down to leadership I think that's always critical within those things and being able to create that foster that environment for that collaboration Teresa your thoughts on that and also where are you on the spectrum of um, a sort of comms and marketing versus data and geek from my point of view, I studied finance and marketing. I was actually going to go to and be an accountant. Well, you're, you're like Willem then. Yes. <laughs> and and I started in CRM um, in my first job and then right. started leveraging digital way back in 2006. So when the market was very immature in Australia um, and, and so I was a little bit self-taught way back when because there wasn't a lot of experts out there. So, um, you know, in... I don't want to be the person sitting here going, I'm the absolute guru, but because everyone has growth um, and the, the market changes so quickly. But I have been operating within the market for a very long period of time from a data, CX and digital point of view. That is probably my core sweet spot, if that makes sense. Um, in terms of skill sets um, and the types of talent you want to hire, I think, you know, some of what Mark Ritson talks about, I think is really valid that, um, a number of digital marketers have grown up understanding channels. They haven't grown up understanding customers. They haven't, you know, grown up with some of the the core traditional strategic discipline of marketing. And I think that's still really important. You know, I often hear from people, the four P's aren't relevant anymore. And I would say, no, 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 the four P's are more relevant today than ever, um, given the competitive marketplace that we operate within. So I think um, there's some validity and I understand why he says that, but I would equally argue that, 
digital is strategic. It's it's not just about some tactics, particularly if you're taking the organisation on a journey to transform digitally. Um, uh, I think from a skills point of view, I think it's important to, to talk about that whilst it's good to have individuals with data skills and digital skills, what is equally important is the soft skills. Um, can they... Can they take people on a journey within the organisation? Can they translate technical concepts into business concepts and business outcomes and connect the two? Often you can hire some really smart data scientists, etc., but they can't translate all of the great data smarts into how that delivers value for the business. And so it's really important that, that those soft skills are there as well when you're thinking about hiring talent in market and building capability within your teams because often you're having to take people on a journey. You can't sit behind your desk and just do the technical piece day to day. Um, Willem, you're an exception really in terms of really pushing yourself, I guess, beyond what you're naturally, where you naturally came from. But do, do your, you know, friends, uh, your, your um, Dungeons and Dragons friends, are they capable of being the, um, I'm sorry, I'm being a bit facetious there just because I'm jealous actually of your capabilities, but um, do, do can you expect, can you ask, you know, technical people to, to be the bridge that Teresa talks about? Is, it, is, that, is that sort of an exceptional techie to be able to do that and vice versa on the other side? I think you can sometimes and you can to a degree and you've also got to expect it to go both ways. So, you know, if you're saying, if you're saying to people who, um, communicate in a different way, um, you know, and think in a different way. Hey, you need to learn to communicate like me. That's not, there's no common ground that you're finding there. So, you know, I, I think you can't expect the coloring in marketing people, you know, the, to, to, to just come to the table with the dungeons and dragons. We're going to, you're going to use that sound right for <laughs> but, sure. You know, if, if they're, if they're, um, you know, if it's dungeons and dragons and coloring in is the perception on either side. That's right. <laughs> I don't think you're coming together, but yeah. I think. People who are naturally more inclined to understand comms and not understand data and tech, um, you know, they can learn a bit. They can't learn everything, and and vice versa. And that, you know, you've got to come with that ambition of not just seeing these people as flawed and unable to communicate, but to go, they're communicating differently, they're operating differently. How do we get a bit closer together? Well, it's fundamentally what makes good human interaction work. It's give on both sides, isn't it? That's what you're talking about. Absolutely. Um, one of the things that, um, look, and we, I knew we would, we're crazy out of time already, but uh, there's one thing that t- stood out from what Teresa was talking about that I'd love to explore a little bit more before we go, and that is this 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 um, statistic that says less than one in two marketing teams own and lead the customer experience or the CX um, 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 function inside the uh, organisation. Now, um, you know, as, as Teresa says, the experience is, is often, and in fact, you know, Telstra's CMO, Jeremy Nicholas, last week at, on MI3 talked about how he, why he's taken, he's left his CMO role at Telstra to become head of digital channels. Um, and it's because he says, you know, customer experience is as much now the brand represents the brand and builds the brand as a bit of communications or whatever else that goes into marketing. The CX is important. So the fact that marketing doesn't have a, 
um, a, a sort of a functional uh, responsibility for customer experience. What's going on there, and is that is that a reflection on on what the capabilities we have as marketers now, or has it got beyond marketing and the organisation has said we this is important, we're elevating it to somewhere else? Sam, can I get your thoughts on that first? Yeah, sure. Um, Do you have CX, for instance? Have you got well, where does CX sit in with sit with you? So C- CX does sit. So CX sits within marketing. It is a shared responsibility and a shared function, obviously, because a lot there's some proportion of it sits with e-com but it's a shared function that sits under my boss Lisa Ronson so it definitely does live within marketing and I think that's because we really realise that I totally echo what Jeremy thinks that brand and customer experience are one and the same thing they are not separate and I think potentially maybe that's a hangover from previous um, previous structures or ways of thinking about things but I think again that talks to my point earlier about it being really siloed this kind of digital's off over here comms is over here they're one in the same thing because you are communicating through digital. So um, just as, you know, every billboard, every in-store interaction, every phone call with a call centre reflects your brand, as does every single interaction on an app or online. So I think that, you know, in order for marketing to really be able to hold and control that brand narrative and that story and positioning and deliver on that, CX is vital. So I don't think if, you know, if it doesn't technically from a reporting structure sit within marketing, I think you just have to have an extraordinarily close relationship where you're, again, shared vision. It's about servicing the customer and making sure you have a consistent way of showing up. And yeah, customer experience is is vital. And I think customer experience is broader than digital. It's every interaction. True. It's all channels. Teresa, why do you think, what's going on there with CX, um, you know, not being necessarily, to to Sam's point, um, marketing is supposed to be the custodian of the customer. How does customer experience in half the cases not be within marketing? What's happened? I think at times we're probably not acting like the custodian of the customer. I sometimes see in market that, Teams don't understand the customer in the, at the level that they need to. And, and equally, I think over time in this market, marketing functions have really focused on the promotional P. Of the four Ps, yeah. Yeah, not all marketing departments. You know, you don't typically see that in FMCG environments, but a lot of marketing teams are seen as comms functions. Um, and therefore, a lot of what they are seen to be doing is focused on kind of the last mile, the go-to-market activity, um, and not necessarily playing a more strategic role within the organisation. And so at times I would say they are overlooked um, as a result of the historic role that we've been playing in organisations in Australia. And it's almost like we need to rebrand and reprogram what it is that marketing does in this market because I think over time um, there is a bit of a historical perception that that we aren't playing some of these more strategic roles and, and we can't be that custodian of the customer. So, Willem, you've been at both IAG and Woolies on this and why doesn't marketing have the CX remit? Um, what happens there? At Woolies, it, it certainly does. Like The brand and reputation function, which includes marketing, is responsible for you know how brand shows up in store and, and all that kind of stuff and you know i think they do they do an incredible job and it, it absolutely covers um all customer experience and you know i think that's really impressive i think in a lot of corporates though the production of ads sits significantly outside the organization so it's you know it's the creative agency and the media agency planning and insights from a research agency and there's an internal team kind of coordinating and aligning and so on and so, so to some degree, that's all how the brand's represented outside of that core brand experience. 
to on TV and outdoor advertising on the radio, online even, online even, social media maybe. No, it's sort of this significantly external domain of advertising doesn't necessarily feel like a natural partner for like this internal domain of CX, and I think that's often why it's outside the marketing function, and it's critical to doing marketing. It's just that marketing is often primarily the ads function, and I think that's what would need to change. The other interesting part about this, though, uh, to, to all of you is that with customer experience, it's CX and the customer seems to be maybe by the tech vendors, maybe by others, but CX and customer has elevated to the board ahead of what marketing has sort of got its, its, its capabilities around. Because if you think about what goes on now, it's all about customer experience. We need to re- digitally transform for the customer experience. And that's an organizational, structural infrastructure sort of gets really, really big and perhaps beyond what has been the marketing remit. And maybe that's where marketers have let, let, let that one go or not seen it come through and it's actually been taken over by a, a higher agenda. Teresa, am I talking, you know, rabbit's food there? No, absolutely. I... I absolutely think that's right. But I I want to just touch on a point that Willem has just made around agencies. If we look at the market at the moment from an agency point of view, every second agency will call call themselves a CX agency, right? And a lot of them are still doing ads. And it creates a lot of confusion as well within the industry of what is CX and what isn't CX. And I'm not sure... There are some marketers that really understand the proper discipline of CX, but I would say there's a number of marketing teams that are being led also by agencies to think of the lens of CX through a campaign. And therefore, when you're thinking about it through a campaign, it doesn't really align with where the strategic agenda is that is being pushed through the organisation that is kind of, you know, in order to differentiate and compete experience is a big part of our strategy and and I think that's the conversation marketing leaders need to be having at that at that board table is not about the latest ad campaign but how does our brand strategy link with our CX strategy and manifest itself in everything that we do to bring this true experience to life for customers? I guess it's a, um, a flag, really, in that when we talk about the latest ad campaign, what I do find a lot of marketers talking about as well, particularly if you're on the performance side of marketing, is it's, there's a lot of work that goes into, you know, internal communication owned channel communication so it's even you know email is a really big thing in marketing but it's still comms it's not ads but it's not again it's not cx it's essentially trying to optimize something or send something send a message to people so when we talk about ads i'm just wanting to make sure that we understand that it's also about direct communications as well but it is a communications function now i feel like i could just keep asking questions here because it's a really good conversation but i also know um it's time to call call it up a bit so what i want to get from I just ask each of you as we close is um, what do we do about this? Like what are, what, are the, what are some solutions or how do we tackle this skills gap uh, and get a, a sense of um, having people want to get their heads around uh, better, their heads better around digital and data and analytics and all the things that we're talking about. What do we do about it? And can I start, I'll ask that hard question to Teresa first. Good luck. <laughs> no worries. What are the answers? <laughs> so I would, en- I would encourage teams to be thinking about what is our departmental plan to address skill and capability gaps. So historically, we've planned a lot as an individual level to improve skills, but what is that developmental plan for the department that helps us build capabilities over time in certain areas like 
digital data um, and this and and more kind of at to Willem's point before the specifics around what it is in those areas that the that the team needs to develop skills within. Um, I think once you start doing that, you're able to start to lift and retool the team more holistically rather than kind of individual interventions. Um, and I think that's really important because it's a journey the whole team needs to go on, not just a journey that certain individuals need to go on because otherwise it signals to the team that, okay, it's that person's job to do data, it's that person's job to kind of um, manage digital channels, I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. So I think you've got to create that departmental plan, involve everyone um, along that journey. And I think brands like ANZ um, and, and the work Kate Young is doing is a really good example of of how they are doing that and tackling the issue. Oh, with their marketing, marketing capabilities development program, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Willem, what do you? Um, what do we do? How do we? How do we solve for this? So I think it is it is being more specific, which is as Teresa was saying, um, developing a proper plan. So for me, I think there's a few disciplines. Um, there's really statistics and measurement, which is you know better understanding the impacts of campaign, doing better doing better attribution. There's digital and tech, which is kind of building data-driven MarTech and AdTech, um, curating and servicing customer data and, and so on. And then there's the, the planning and strategy, which is, you know, better understanding of data to do better brand planning and, you know, and coming to understand the different value of each of these disciplines and how you, how you balance insights that come from, come from each of them. Um, I think that will set you up to be able to hire the right people and create the right roles and create the right job descriptions. At Luxury Escapes now, uh, 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 do you feel like you can find those people um, for your team? Are they there internally now? Have you got to go and find them or have you got to build them? I think it's a combination. So it sounded a bit robotic, that, sorry, Willem. It's not really building them in a, in a, you know, in a factory sense, but you know what I mean. It's a combination. So, you know, so there are, there are some some you know, really great engineers here who come in as, as senior engineers. There's young people who are just young, smart people who, who you know, relatively fresh out of uni who have a lot of cap- capacity to learn and, and to learn how we work here, which is, which is quite different. So it is both. It's probably easier to find in, in volume smart young people who can learn than it is to find people who've already got exactly the skill set that you're after. But you, know, you need a combination of both. Sam, what about you? How, how do we? How, how do you solve for this? How do you think we? The industry, not just you know, obviously there's coals as well, but how does the industry solve for this big gap that we may see here in Australia? Yeah, I mean, I think echo all the points that both of the guys just said. But um, I think the other thing is, as like industry leaders, I think we need to share more and make it a shared problem. So I think you know when people are doing great things like that marketing academy over at ANZ, which sounds amazing. I just think that that's a really great example of us being able to share with each other in a really kind of not a fearful way of like removing that element of like, are you further along than I am? Do you know more than I, I'm supposed to? If we all just go, this is a collective problem. And as leaders, we kind of owe it to the industry and to that young, smart talent that's coming in to go, it's kind of our responsibility to share this problem and think about how do we expand on things like Marketing Academy? And I do think there is possibly as well, we need to maybe bring in and whether that's overseas talent or it's really showcasing those unicorns that do exist in the market I think we need to show and role model what great looks like and have that for people to be able to see because I think if you can't can't see it it's very difficult to be it Um, so I think you know some of that talent we might need to import in until we raise the bar with capabilities around the table but also I just think we just need to share as much as possible and conversations like this are great for that because together 
it, we can probably solve the issue rather than all of us collectively behind closed doors trying to do it one-on-one. I think the thing there is interesting too, Sam, is with your UK experience, there is something peculiar about the Australian market. I see it lots. There's something peculiar about Australia uh, in terms of quite can be quite um, short on uh, on sharing and positivity. Really long. Um, like love to love to sort of carp and pull some people down. But on the top of that, UK does share. Right? There's a lot more collaboration between even between competitors. We don't see that. I don't see that as much in this market as what I see in others. And I'm not sure what that's about. But it's a great point. And I don't know how you know. Just 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 the awareness of it's probably a start. Um, look. Great conversation. Sam McLeod, Will Paling, Teresa Spurdy, thanks uh, for a great conversation. Hopefully it's the start of, you know, an ongoing one uh, in, and, in around this. But um, it is late in the afternoon and I will ask, I will leave you all alone to have a life. So thanks for joining. Stay safe and, and uh, we'll, we'll talk again. Thanks very thanks much. Thanks a lot, Paul. This MI3 audio edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 Audio Edition to listen for free. Listener.